This is a Hipsters of the Coast podcast. This Doom Travelers podcast is brought to you by Hipsters of the Coast, your destination for magic news, strategy, and entertainment. And by Cast Haven, where you can build your magic collection like a pro. Visit casthaven.com for more information. All right, you guys ready? Wait, hold on. I just want to see what's on the other side of this ledge. Oh, my God. I can't believe. <laughs> oh, oh that's embarrassing. Oh, man. Welcome to another episode of Doomed Travelers, where we talk about magic and play Destiny. I'm your host, Rich Stein, joined this week uh, by Dave McNasty McCoy, Matt the Obliterator Jones, and Brendan B. Mac McNamara. We're going to be talking about the topic of the week, which is Tarmogoyf. Uh, you may or may not have heard of Tarmogoyf. It's a green creature. Uh, I hear I hear it gets played in tournaments from time to time. Uh, I thought it was a blue so, creature. So it, 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 it's 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 easily confused for a blue creature because it only gets played with islands. Uh, so I'm gonna take us into orbit so we can uh, queue up for some Iron Banner matches. And uh, we, we touched briefly on uh, Tarmogate uh, or Goifgate last week. Um, just to recap, you, Pascal Maynard in the top eight draft of Grand Prix Las Vegas uh, decided that the correct thing to do was uh, rare draft um, Tarmogoyf over a burst lightning that would have been better for his deck. A foil, uh, foil Tarmogoyf. Sorry, a foil, yes, a foil Tarmogoyf. That was placed in the pack by Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> that was yes, very much so, um, and and the, of course the community response was kind of uh, nutty, so <laughs> as can be expected. Um, but it is what it is, and uh, lots of things have been said about it so, since then. Uh, Pascal himself has written uh, that he feels the decision that he made was the wrong decision. Uh, but uh, within the time constraints, uh, he made the call that he felt he should. And uh, hopefully we can all move on with our lives uh, when it comes to judging Pascal for making that choice. Unlikely. Uh, <laughs> very unlikely. But I want to... Uh, we'll go around and... Uh, the the, the Tarmogoyf is currently on sale on eBay uh, if you have uh, some money laying around. Uh I want to buy it, so uh, I want to go around and uh, get everyone's thoughts on what you would do uh, if you owned Pascal Maynard's foil Tarmogoyf. Uh, Matt, what would you do with it? Did I pay for it? Uh, I, I mean, assuming you paid for it, whatever. Yeah, let's let's assume you bought it. For, do I have a lot of money already? Well, you probably already. You, if if you're dropping fifteen thousand dollars for a magic card, then you probably have a lot of money. I would dress up like a leprechaun and I would light it on fire and I would stream that video. For nice. charity. Would no, you yeah, would just you just just because, not for charity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be uh it'd be a very Catalan type uh Catalan like performance piece. Yeah. Oh my god, beautiful, beautiful. I think it's Catalan. Catalan, sorry. I, I, I love his work. But uh 
Uh, Just kidding, I actually think it's Catalan. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it, Matt. (laughs) Killing me. me So Matt would would destroy it uh, in a fire while dressed as a leprechaun. Dave, what would you do with uh, Pascal Maynard's Tarmogoyf? Well, since I don't keep foils or expensive cards I don't play with, I'd probably either play with it or try and flip it for uh, a 25% profit somehow. I don't know how that would happen, but yeah, I guess you'd have to find a like a, a like a private collector who yeah. wasn't interested in the eBay auction. Yeah. But do you think if I took it to a bank, they would like invest it for me? Uh, they might take it as collateral on a loan, but they might not. I I don't know. That's a tar. I wouldn't if I was a banker. I don't know how. I mean, maybe on a small loan, I might give you like five hundred bucks. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's it's the kind of thing whose value is so wrapped up in the event that it's hard yeah. to, like, actually get a an accurate uh, market price for it. So I'd imagine it actually probably isn't worth very much to people who have money. So Right. What about you, Brendan? So I would decide that I have a, a stamped foil Tarmogoyf, and the only reasonable thing to do is to collect stamped foil versions of all the other cards in Modern Masters and build a cube out of it. Oh, my God. See, that's the problem, though, is that uh, I was under the impression they, there are no stamped foils, right? Doesn't Wizards, don't they normally take the foils yep. out? They the do, point. but they don't for Modern Masters because uh-huh. there's just a foil in every pack. So, oh, yeah, like, every on day right. two, all of the packs opened had a foil in them. I don't mostly, know that you could actually put together a full full set cube. I think it's but. mostly so that they can put a foil Tarmogoyf into that guy's pack. Right, really. right. Yeah, you do. I, you do wonder. I mean, I don't. Oh, there's I mean, no I doubt in my mind that any that, doubt, that right? was yeah. That was total. So the people would talk about it. There's no doubt in my mind. No, no. What you're missing is so Webb said he was sick on day one, right? He wasn't actually sick. He had to drop out of the of day one so he could go find the packs they were going to use in the in the uh, finals draft and insert a foil Tarmogoyf so he could start the whole conspiracy theorying uh, on uh, Twitter. <laughs> so it's, it's just all web, web Allen. Well, it makes sense. I mean, since we man. we know that the packs can be opened and and resealed, right? So. Yeah, there's some. Room. Hey. Well, personally, I feel like uh, this is an- this is another item that kind of highlights the lack of a physical Magic the Gathering Hall of Fame, uh, which I think would be a I don't know, even just like a traveling. They should display. put it at John's house. Yeah, right. <laughs> that just that's the only thing that makes any sense. You could you could go do drafts at the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's just like the kind of thing, like you know, when you go to like sports hall of fames, they'll have like, you know, the bat that you know Alex Rodriguez used to hit this home run, or you know, like <laughs> the, the needle that Alex Rodriguez used to hit this home run. Yeah, <laughs> sick burn. <laughs> you know, it's like, but I mean, like you know, like yeah. the hockey hall of fame is full of like player sticks and whatnot. You know, if there what? was some sticks. Oh, <laughs> you know, like the band. <laughs> yeah, oh. exactly. <laughs> oh. Had like to born on a bayou. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't understand anything. But uh, anyways, uh, 
you know, the Tarmogoyf that Pascal Maynard drafted would be that kind of a thing. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so, so the Tarmogoyf is now uh, for sale on eBay um, with half the proceeds going to John, uh, the charity that John Finkel is a board member of, uh, Gamers Helping Gamers. It's a great charity. Uh, we've donated money to them uh, when we sold the Modern Masters deck. Um, and, uh, that's really good. And, uh, right now, uh, the card is up to, uh, earlier today, I checked it was up to around $14,000. And, uh, I think the auction ends either tomorrow or Tuesday. It was a seven day auction. So, um, if you are interested, uh, it's probably gone by now, but, uh, there's been a lot of people, uh, and, and we talked about last week, uh, Brendan said that, you know, it's probably worth a ton of money because it's a collector's item. Uh, and, and we speculated that, you know, you could eat, probably get $1,000 for it. Uh, <laughs> and it turns out we were lowballing that number. Well, you were uh, correct. You can get $1,000 for it. <laughs> that is right. <laughs> Times like 15. <laughs> so, I mean... You know, a lot of people have talked about how, oh, it's, you know, you should never take... I, I guess the general gist is that you should always take uh, the card that has the most value to the deck you're building uh, and not uh, the financial value, right? Um, and the, the pro players were arguing that, you know, you're playing to play magic, the best magic, Uh so you should play the best magic. You shouldn't be there just for the money. Uh, do you guys buy into that? Do you think that that's a that's true? That magic players are there to play the best. Pro players are there to play the best magic. I always thought pro players were there because they probably didn't have other things they were pro at. <laughs> well, I mean, some of them are pro poker players as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's the thing they're best at, perhaps. I mean, I would say that pro Magic players, when they reach the top eight, they are usually there to maximize the pro points they can get because yeah. that determines the appearance fee that they're given uh, right. to show up at the other places, you know? So that's, that's what I think people like Huey and uh, uh, Reed Duke and Owen Turtonwald, I think, I think that's the point of view they were coming from. Like, they're livelihood and their personal pride and drive to to succeed is all their magic success and so if they do something to harm that they're actively like impeding their ability to make money and continue to be famous and all that kind of stuff uh so yeah i mean i think i, I think that's a very reasonable way to look at the pick of the foil tarmogoyf but i mean i don't i'm not sure maydard is you know like your prototypical a uh tier one uh pro i've actually sat right. across from him i've sat across from him at so many gps and ptqs right and i recognized him but i never knew his name and i never actually knew that that he was ever considered kind of a pro <laughs> you know so <laughs> uh yeah so i mean i've spent two years doing that and i just had no idea so. yeah because i mean mcnasty lulls comes Really close to Maynard. You know, I don't know. I don't know who McNasty is. Yeah, I mean, Dave and I were both sitting right next to him at the Modern Masters build. Yeah, he had a very good deck, from what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking. Uh, I was like, car. 
Karen. Karen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that was a pretty good deck. I, I, I you know, it's it the the question of um, you know, the 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 make it and the pro right. So the question comes down to the pro points, right? And and Pascal's had a good year. He's he's done a lot of uh, he's made a lot of top eights of Grand Prix and what have you. Uh, and you know, there was definitely a, an opportunity for him if he had made the top four uh, or the finals, I think, to uh, potentially get closer to qualifying for the world championship or uh, platinum level. Um, but then, you know, there's the value of that versus the value of the Tarmogoyf. Uh, you know, and when I say the value of that, I mean the value of the burst lightning, right? Um now that we know the Tarmogoyf is actually going to net him like seven thousand uh, dollars, is it? You know, it still comes down to uh, the money, right? And I mean, look, the pro players all have this stance where they're like, "Oh, well, you know, you want the pro points, uh, and you want to, you know, qualify for this, and you want to get platinum club." But at the end of the day, it's about being able to pay your rent by playing Magic. Right. The, I mean, sure. Uh, there's some ideal where you're like, oh, I want to be the best magic player in the world. That's great. But the point of the pro tour is uh, to make it so that these guys can pay their rent and play magic doing so. Um, and to that end, I think especially knowing that the Tarmogoyf's worth seven thousand um, dollars, you know, it seems like he may have actually made the right decision. Um, but more importantly. Uh, is there uh, a problem with the compensation in general? Uh, the fact that he was debating the value of a foil Tarmogoyf, which is three grand, uh, sorry, three hundred, uh, versus the potential value of the burst lightning, which is to say, how much closer the burst lightning would have gotten him to four thousand uh, dollar grand prize uh, at the at the Grand Prix. Um, a lot of people are talking about this. A lot of people feel that uh, the, the Grand Prix payout is too low, and it led directly to this scenario. Um, do you guys think that, A, that, the pro, that, that Grand Prix payout is too low? Uh, and do you think that that's the reason why we had this kind of situation? Um, I mean, I think the Grand Prix payout is definitely low. Uh, I don't know like what it should be. Um, I mean, we would all like it to be higher, <laughs> you know. Like for yeah. example, I, I came in 188th at Grand Prix Vegas, which was the lowest cash place. They paid down to 230 in each of them, and I get 200 dollars. Which you know, I I sort of view it as those sort of cash prizes. Anything short of making the top eight of a Grand Prix, you're just getting a few like two, four hundred dollars, something like that. Which right. whatever, you know, <laughs> I'm happy to get it, and I can. Added to my like mental resume of life that I made, and I've now cashed for a total of five hundred dollars at Grand Prix, you know, <laughs> and it's out of like ten or fifteen that I've been to, you know, it's you don't doesn't they don't come anywhere close to being a worthwhile investment based on the winnings. Yeah, right. I, I mean, the part of it is it's so top heavy, right? We all know Magic is a is a game based on variance, and that even the best pros aren't going to top sixteen every GP they go to. Uh, right. Even LSV didn't top sixteen at X two um, in his GP, uh, 
And so I think one of the maybe easier ways to address payouts is to address payouts at the lower end. Uh, instead of paying out just top hundred and a hundred dollars, I think is the minimum thing you get, uh, like right. pay out farther than that. Like say day two is like a $50 guaranteed. And then the top half of day two gets a hundred, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, that would at right. least guarantee you, uh, a minimum, um, uh, payment for like what is expected of a pro, which is to day two. Um, I mean, the other argument is like these appearance fees, should right. count in the prize money that is being given out because it is paid by wizards. The prize fees and the, or the prize payouts and the appearance fees are both paid by wizards, and so they're kind of prize payouts in their own way. Since you know these these pros aren't directly advertising wizards, uh, you know, like wearing That's a wizard logo, sure. you know. So yeah, I don't know, Matt. Matt, do you think you'd go to more pro tour? Uh, sorry, no, absolutely they paid not. Out? No. How much money? How much money would a Grand Prix have to pay out, and how far down do you actually want to go to more of them? Irrelevant. I don't play Magic for money. Like I don't give a shit. I play Magic right. to go hang out with my buddies. I go to. I only now go to like special things. Like the Modern Masters one is a special one, and like the team one that Dave Kadar and I are going to do in Detroit is a special one, and that's it. Like I don't. I just don't have the time or the interest. Yeah. You know, if they played professional baseball players more, I wouldn't give a shit either. If they paid them less, I wouldn't give a shit. Like, it doesn't, it's irrelevant to me. Yeah, that's one of the more rational things uh, I've heard you say about Magic Jones, that you wouldn't play it for money. Because, like, if so, if you're playing Magic for money, you're making a very poor EV choice. You know, Magic does not pay very well. And it's not a uh, entirely skill-based game. So, like, you're going to be in positions where, like, your luck is down. And you're like, there's no skill-based way that you can like reverse that. Yeah, uh, like if it's a million-dollar cash prize at the beginning that they give you under the table, uh, it's still going to be somebody else's million dollars. Like I don't care. Right. Right. Yeah. It's. Uh, I. I think that's definitely. Uh, those are valid points. Um, do you think? Uh, do you guys think that the that if that wizard should pay more money? Uh, and do you think they actually have? have the ability to pay more money. Um, I, I think yes to both cases. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, the payouts should reflect the growing popularity of the game, and they just don't. You know, like, the GPs have gotten significantly larger, and the payouts haven't. Yeah. So. Yeah, and the GP entry fees keep going up, too. Right. Yeah, like, like, people have been talking in Denver here about GP San Diego, which is in August. It's a standard GP, and it's like $70 to register, and you're thinking... Where is this seventy dollars going? You know, I'm really seventy dollars for a standard GP? Yeah, that seems insane. Wow. I thought those yeah, were like thirty or forty. No, which I also mean, seems insane. Right? It's uh, and they're not I even mean, paying the judges either. Just in product. <laughs> oh, no, they pay them now, don't they? Don't they not give them product anymore? They give them boxes. You get you get to choose you get the way to boxes. You just don't get judged. Shut for the it. fuck up. That's yeah. not even real. Anything. Ju- judge judge compensation is a topic we can have a, a, a whole another podcast for one day. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I think I think that Wizards is doing the game a disservice uh, by not increasing the payouts. Um, obviously, there's a lot of comparisons being made to the payouts for uh, esports, uh, such as Hearthstone and League of Legends. Um, uh, both of which pay out uh, significantly more money uh, than Magic, and uh, there's a definite concern. I was, you know, I was talking to Sarah the other day, and she said, "What would be the benefit 
uh, of paying out more money other than, you know, making it so pro payers could pay their rent. Um, and I, I feel strongly that magic can only get better uh, by increasing the prize payouts um, because I don't think that the best players in the world are showing up regularly um, because the, like, like, like you said, the, if your decision is to try to make money playing magic regularly, then you picked uh, a poor value decision. Um, but I do think that if you are a company and you create this game, and you decide that there's a professional tour, then you are responsible for paying them according, like a decent amount of money for wins and stuff. Right. You yeah. Know, like no, you, I, I you can't agree. just have that and then not treat people right. Yeah. No. I mean, they have to. They have to pay, and they have to treat people, uh, treat their pros better. Um, but I think what I'm getting at is, I think that there's uh, that magic, competitive magic, would be better. Uh, if the pro players made more money because they would, uh, for, for two reasons. One, there are probably people who are better at magic than anyone who plays magic today, uh, but they don't play magic because there's not enough money in magic. Yeah, I mean, Kai, actually... Kai Buddha doesn't, doesn't really play at a high level anymore because why would he? He makes plenty right. of money doing other things. Uh, right. Like There's very little incentive for him to ever switch back. Yeah, and same with John and Finkel. Well, Finkel actually travels a lot more than, I, than one would expect. Yeah, I think yeah, he but just he's has a lot of fun doesn't. hanging out with his buddies, but he doesn't... I don't think he does as much as he would. But I also don't think he would if it was huge value anyways. Right, exactly. Uh, I mean, and I think John's a, a, a more of a unique case, uh, especially because his, his line of work is much more in line with his personal interests. Um, and, and I mean, he had his, I mean, he was the face of magic for a very long time, uh, as well. Um, but no, I mean, there are probably people who are like David Williams who play poker, uh, are pro poker players. Uh, and maybe they're, you know, I mean, obviously David is a very good pro poker player, but there are probably people who are average poker players who would be superb magic players uh but they're not playing on the magic pro tour because there's no money in it do you think uh, they would ever get the money up enough to make if money is your concern to make it do i it? do i think they will uh do you i think they I even honestly, could like i do i do think yeah. they could because you know it's the money is one of those things where it's in theory at least investing more money in the pro tour and grand prix should bring more money in to the to, to that system and, and i think where they're really dropping the ball is sponsorship right there's no sponsorship uh there's no advertising uh grand prix are basically a big advertisement for the tournament organizer running the grand prix right and right it's it's kind of a weird thing because no other like convention, like even if they're conventions now, which is really what Grand Prix tournaments are, they're conventions. You go to a gaming convention and they're plastered with advertising. You know, it's uh, there's sponsors, there's you know, there's the you know theater presented by you know whatever Chase Bank. I don't know. It's uh, 
uh, it just seems like a missed opportunity. Uh, and, and obviously, we've talked about coverage all the time. If they put more money into the whole package, then, then more people will watch and they can get ad revenue that way. Um, but ultimately, Wizards feels that the Pro Tour is a thing that they use to market magic. Um, when maybe they should be using the Pro Tour to market the players, um, and then the players can market the game. Because uh, it seems like there's a disconnect somewhere uh, between wanting there to be a Pro Tour, this thing that will allow mad people to pay their rent by playing Magic, um, and the reality of the Pro Tour, which is that almost nobody is able to pay their rent by playing Magic. Um, they're marketing a dream. <laughs> yeah, I doubt Hasbro will ever pump that much money into something that doesn't actually actively make them money, since they pawn off the running of the Grand Prix uh, to other companies. You know, yeah. why, why would they ever increase the payouts for it if if they're just not making a shit ton? Of yeah, money I think I think that's um, obviously that's that's what I feel is the big. Uh, one of the big things that would have to change. Wizards has to take control of the Grand Prix circuit. Um, it's Which, I mean, they're probably hoping that, like, you know, Star City has their own circuit that's growing, and Channel Fireball right. and Star City are now competing to run bigger and fancier Grand Prix, and they have all these special registration options where you get, like, a lanyard that's autographed by Matt Jones if you pay for the, <laughs> oh pay for the like, tin version of the... Of the registration, right? Oh, wow. Well, the yeah. tin version. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, you know it's it's so it's like secretly the most powerful, but you just don't know it because it's hidden. It's, it really turns out to be like titanium or adamantium <laughs> or something, oh or unobtainium. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god! I mean, I think part of the part of the problem with all this is just that magic is such a good game. It just sells itself that they don't have to sell it, you know? And people are going to, people will jump at the chance to be able to make just enough money to be able to play magic full time. Like people like Owen Turnwald, you know, who like, obviously he could do something else with his life. Right. He's young and obviously very smart. Um, what does he do when he's 50? You know, this is something I think about all the time. Like I don't want to diss pro magic players or anything, but if you spend all your time playing magic and you don't, like I don't know what Owen's backstory is, but say you're a magic player, you don't maybe you don't go to college because you're playing so much magic, and you're living that way. You win some tournaments, and then you know you're in your 30s. You're not winning so much. Like, what do you do? What do you what, like? What kind of job do you get? I think uh, I think it, what, I think Matt. I think you're suggesting that what we need is a magic pro player union uh, <laughs> and benefits, retirement benefits uh, for members. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, what happens should, when the concussion starts? That's what I was going to say. Right. Like, Damn they should it, you definitely stole start. Joke. Yeah, they should start <laughs> investing in a uh, a uh, concussion settlement fund, so that when they get right. sued, they're going to be able to pay it out. Maybe, maybe. I mean, look, magic players are all very young. What happens if you know we all you know get up into fifties uh, and sixties and we get arthritis, uh, and it's directly linked to shuffling our hand? Yeah, Brian right. Kibler yeah, would be Kibler, the seriously. first candidate. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think someone should really get on this pro player union thing. Do you think that's uh, where all his gray hairs are coming from? His uh, hand shuffling? Maybe. Probably. 
<laughs> Maybe that's hand shuffling seems like uh, the likely culprit uh, for all that gray hair. It definitely probably has nothing to do with the fact that he's uh, almost forty. It also seems like you're talking about something else. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, no, I think uh, I think there's a lot of steps on the road to there being more money uh, in the pro, in, in the pro tour and in the Grand Prix. Um, I think there's a lot of, I mean, the grand the idea of a Grand Prix, right, is almost unchanged in the past thirty years, uh, twenty years, right? Ever since they started having Grand Prix in 1997. They're basically the exact same thing they were. Uh, yeah. It's an open entry tournament that uh, pays out uh, a fixed amount of money, and basically it's just you know, are you, do you want to come play Magic? Come play Magic. It's a two day. It's a two day event. It's always been a two day event, um, and you know you got to wonder if uh, it's getting a little old. 18 years later, all we've done is make tweaks to the to the format and slightly increase the prize payout. Uh, which, uh, to be fair, uh, to point out, the prize payout for Grand Prix tournaments has essentially doubled in 15 years. Uh, with or without inflation? Uh, that, that ignoring inflation... Uh, so, so, so I will say that the, I did look into it, and the the the, the Grand Prix prize payout has increased uh, past inflation. That's for sure. Uh, however, um, it it basically pays uh, the the first place pays almost two and a half times what it paid in 1997, uh, and um, the total prize pool is about three times what it was. Now, if you think about how many people played Magic in 1997 and how much money Magic made in 1997 and how much that's grown since, it's probably a little more than three times as big uh, as it was back in the late 90s. But that's how much the payouts have grown uh, for the Grand Prix. So there's a huge disconnect between the growth of the game and the growth of the Grand Prix circuit. And uh, Wizards is really going to have to address that at some point if they want pro players to keep showing up to Grand Prix tournaments, which they clearly do because they pay them for it. And I don't think anyone would argue that uh, pro players should stop going to Grand Prix. Um, so Wizards has to sort that out. But. Yeah, I still, I still, I can't. I don't. I feel like we joked around about it, but I can't even imagine how. Like, if you're, if you're a pro Magic player, like, what do you do? Right. For money? Like, I just don't. I don't get it. You gotta. Like, it's also the game's so random. It seems, you know, like why? Or there's so many random elements to it. Um, yeah. Like basing your life, your financial life off of. You know, you're having to be like second at least in a tournament right. to get a big enough payoff to like make enough money to live. Not even yeah. like make a ton of money and be a millionaire, like make enough money to live. That just that sounds fucked up. Definite, uh, there's some definite concerns. Uh, I don't think it's possible. 
Uh, so that's got to change because you're right. It's it's if they want there to be professional magic players, then they have to facilitate the ability for there to be professional magic players, uh, and they're not doing that today. That what they're facilitating is people who can almost make a living writing about magic, uh, and speculating on magic cards, uh, and then you know if they have time, they can actually play magic. Right. But anyways, I want to change gears before we wrap up here uh, and talk a little bit about uh, the Invitational, uh, the Star City Invitational. I wasn't able to catch the coverage today, but I know, Brendan, uh, you were able to watch today. Uh, and I think uh, by now uh, most of us have heard about the uh, Tron, the Tronland uh, fiasco. So to say, but uh, for those who didn't catch it, uh, Brendan, do you want to recap what happened? Yeah, well, so Ali Antrazi is playing Green Red Tron, and he won the whole Invitational. Uh, he defeated Chris Van Meter playing Amulet Bloom in the finals in three games, where it turns out that Tron is just the better deck at putting a lot of lands in play. <laughs> but really, really yeah. magic. Yeah, is is pretty exciting. It was like the key of, ooh, is he going to go for the ghost quarter here? Or is he going to minus three his Karn that only has three counters on it just to get rid of a bounce land or something? You know? And you're like, that's obviously the correct play. <laughs> yeah. um, which is usually not obviously the correct play. But in the semifinal rounds, Ali Antrazi was playing someone else. I think he was playing, oh, he was playing Merfolk. And... He had a bunch of Tron lands in his hand, but all his Tron lands were different art. You know, like he had the Chronicles version, which were the white-bordered reprints of the Antiquities versions. And back in Antiquities, they made four different arts for them, you know, like one for each season or something. Mm -hmm. um, and so because of that, he needed to play an Urza's Tower in order to have Tron and then cast, like, Karn, I think, or maybe Ugin. It was Ugin. Um, and he instead played uh, Urza's Mind that has a tower on it. It sort of looks like a tower. Um, right. He didn't really, like, he had the other, he had the right kind in hand the whole time. So it wasn't like he was exactly cheating, but he played the wrong one and then tapped it, you know, cast his Ugin, and this went on for, like, three turns. And then at some point later, you know, the game somehow was still going on. Um, he casts a Karn, and at that point, they realized that that is not a tower. It's a power play. And, like, he hadn't played out another copy of the correct type. And Yikes. And that's, like, they were talking about on the coverage. They're like, oh, what's going to happen? And it's like, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if the result was you lose the game. Um, but I think in order for that to happen, they would have to believe that it was intent. Because clearly you could intend right. to do that and cheat. And there's a lot of room to manipulate or confuse people about what Tron lands you have because they all look the same. And they all start with Urzas, you know, and you could just stack them in such a way that all they can see are right. the first right. few letters of the name. And people, uh, there are lots of people out there. If you play tournament magic, watch out for people who try to like angle shoot you with their lands. Just oh my stacking them weird, trying to hide that they have a certain color, or they'll play like the unglued lands, which all have this big gray border, and so they all look the same, unless you look at the very middle, all that kind of crap. But so anyway, they re the resolution was you know both players got a game, got a game rule violation warning for failing to maintain the game state, and right. then they just walked back as far as they could, which was he couldn't cast Karn, he had to take it back into his hand. 
And then he just played out the correct land <laughs> so that he had Tron and then cast Karn. All right. And he went on to win. It's a it's a crazy situation. I think, uh, yeah, people need to be careful. Um, it sounds like, obviously, he wasn't cheating. Uh, the Urza's the mine in question uh, does have, like, a picture of, like, an outpost or something that looks like a tower. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, yeah, basically the lesson learned here is people pay attention. Uh, <laughs> well, especially. real quick, uh, there's a uh, Kadar actually wants to play this deck, and so he had none of the lands at oh, all, yeah. like no Tron lands, and we went to vendors at uh, GP Vegas to try and figure out which you know what he wanted. And he bought one of every single art. Yeah, that's uh, that's, that's so that's he will cool. he will have exactly this problem. He has all the black border Urza's lands, and you know I just think it's funny. Like we literally did this a week ago. well lesson learned uh children uh make sure you pay very close attention to which urza lands your opponent has in play uh ask them every turn just to show you and point them out and that goes for lots of things uh you know it's we, we we want people to stop obviously people should not cheat uh and they should be responsible for their own cards but uh Everyone has to be on the lookout for this sort of thing. So, what a downer. Uh, <laughs> well, the upside is now I think we need to ban some art on lands. Right. So, the, the whole fact that the land, like the art looks similar uh, and, and all that, I mean, <laughs> I think it's an absurd idea to ban cards based on art because it's kind of encouraging uh, ignorance. But uh, I don't know. I know. Let's we'll ask the resident artist. Uh, if it Dave. was up to me, oh, oh. damn it! <laughs> no, Matt. What do you think? I, if it was up to me, I would be allowed to black out the art in about half of the cards that I play with a sharpie. Just black out the little art box because the art drives me crazy in probably about half of things. Um, but I'm not allowed to do that. So you shouldn't be allowed to ban. Uh, cards because of their art either i mean if somebody yeah. has some altars that give things giant boobs or ejaculating penises or something those should get banned but that's about right it. right yeah right. i mean I, judges judges already have the ability to say that you can't play with an altered card because it uh isn't recognizable by the art um so like they're already kind of using art as a reason to say why a card can and can't be played uh, of course, they're alters, but but still, I mean, they've all, they also blame cards for gameplay reasons. Uh, they don't have to do with power level, like Shahar Shahrazad is banned right. for gameplay reasons. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I don't have any problem with banning the, for example, the From the Vault Dryad Arbor because that card is absolute bullshit. It should not look like a forest, and is impossible to tell that it's not a forest. And I think that's just a gameplay issue. I would totally support banning that card, and. Uh, like just the that art version of it, um, right? And since you're not actually banning a card for like power level reasons, like people will have access to it. Um, same with the the Urza's lands. Like you ban the the uh, antiquities one because it's impossible to keep track of them. And uh, yeah, I'm I think that's very reasonable to do. You could just well, ban that one mine that looks like a tower. Yeah, you could also <laughs> you could just do that. <laughs> Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, hopefully by now, Pascal Maynard's Tarmogoyf has sold for a million dollars. Uh, 
uh, and gamers helping gamers will be uh, set for life uh, for their scholarships. And uh, if anyone, uh, maybe I could do an eBay auction to turn off uh, the stream. Hey Guardians, thanks for tuning in to the Doom Travelers Podcast. You can find more at doomtravelers.com or follow at doomtravelers on Twitter for show updates and other nonsense. Make sure to subscribe to Hipsters TV on YouTube for videos of our previous episodes. And don't forget that you can find audio-only versions of the Doom Travelers Podcast on iTunes. For your host, Rich Stein and Matt the Obliterator Jones, I'm David Bones McCoy. See you next time. Now they pass.